This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name is Louise and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First, we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guest to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. My name's Sean and I'm an alcoholic. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Thanks, Sean. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places – prisons, institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and then become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is it is an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet, because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. And this is what makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at, meet- discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. 
Okay, for anyone who's just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. And we're just about to interview an AA member who's going to share their experience with alcoholism. So, Sean, welcome to the show. Would you like to tell us a little bit more about yourself? Um, yeah, I've, I've uh, well, I've been sober for 18 years. Wow, um, brilliant. And, uh, you know, I came into the program um, in Ireland. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'd been overseas and, and I came into this program. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I sort of don't remember what to say to you about about myself. And, and so tell me a little bit more about, you know, life outside AA. You've got a family. Oh, right. Yep, of course. Yes, and I, I've got family. I've, I've three children and, um, you know, I have uh, two have just gone off to university, so that's oh, a big wow. change for us. Congratulations. Um, yeah, <laughs> it is a little bit. <laughs> and, um, and do you work? Do yeah, you no, I work, I work in construction. Okay. So I have, I have for 20 plus years, or right. it's probably 25 years now, actually. Yep. I've worked in construction. And, Booming uh, business. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> so, Sean, let's let's talk a little bit more about your drinking, why we're here, and um, and how did it start? Oh, look, for me, it's, you know, it started probably like everyone else as a teenager. Um, you know, I I always didn't feel good enough, and I okay. didn't feel sort of worthy enough. And, and you know, like a, a good example for me is that, you know, in school, I would never put my hand up and ask a question if I didn't know what was being taught mm. to me um, because I had this fear that I'd, everyone would know that I was stupid. Right. I thought I was stupid, but I just didn't want anyone else to know. <laughs> um, so, you know, that, that's sort of an example of what I was like. And, uh, you know, and as a teenager, I, um, I had a drink and, and uh, it did for me what I couldn't do for myself. And that, and you know, we we often hear that, and so I guess how it made you feel is that those fears were those fears removed? Oh, absolutely, everything was removed. You know, I went from <laughs> um, you know the insecurities and the fear, and you know, sort of thinking I never quite fitted in um, to being absolutely Superman. You right. know, it was brilliant. You know. <laughs> Pop into the phone box. And um, and so, Sean, you know, as it, as you progressed as a teen into your early adulthood, how did your drinking progress? Um, yeah, my, my drinking from day one was was I could – I wanted to drink as much as I could, as often as I could. Right. Um, of course, being a teenager, you know, I was pretty limited. And, you know, I went to university and – I kind of was it was the norm, um, mm. except I was doing it more often than others. Sure, um, but money dictated. Yeah, you know I could only do it as much as I could find a way of drinking. So, mm. Mm. you know, I look back now. If I could drink every night, I would have drank every night. Yeah, but I couldn't. Yeah, but every time I did drink, I, yeah, it was the same result. You know, I picked a drink up and I just went as hard as I could. Yeah, and uh, I, I never went out to get ah, drunk. I never went out to get. Absolutely smashed. I went out to have a really good time okay. and to enjoy myself um, is how I saw it. And, uh, yeah, so that was sort of my early drinking. And, um, you know, during during that period, I guess you talked about it being the norm. So the culture was, um, you know, certainly through university. As you, you know, went into, into adulthood, um, did that – Drinking stay the same? Did it change? Did it? Yeah, it changed. It, it changed in the fact that uh, it was more destructive on me. So okay. you know, the first few years, uh, you know, I didn't do anything out of the norm. Right. You know, um, 
but it became more destructive and probably what started to happen was in between the drinking, um, the guilt and the remorse where I couldn't quite get, I was getting shorter and shorter that, that uh, what, I was, you know, what drink gave me at the start, mm. you know, that, that sort of massive high or that massive sort of place where um, it just the world was fantastic. Mm. That became shorter and shorter and mm. I was drinking more and more to find it. Sure. And then the cost of the drinking was becoming more and more, not the monetary cost, but, you know, what I was doing to have to, have to, um, to drink and sure. what it was costing me is in relationships and friendships and, and um, those sort of things. And, and plus, you know, I found that once – once I sort of got past sort of my early 20s, um, all that fear and stuff was back. Right. You know? so, so let's delve into that a little bit more. So you, you mentioned your relationships. Was that with family, friends, loved ones? Oh, absolutely. Yep. Um, my, my, not so much my family. It was a bit odd. I, I never really drank in front of my family. Mm. Um, I don't know why. I but I didn't. But with yeah, you know, with with girlfriends, yeah, you know, I had mm-hmm. a, a very good, yeah, you know, very very close girlfriend, and and all that sort of stuff. And then friends, you know, I'd um, you know, I'd, I'd steal and I'd rob right. and I'd you know do all those sort of things and use and borrow money and not pay it back mm-hmm. and all the, all those things. Um, so that cost a lot of friendships and uh, relationships. And um, you you touched briefly on I guess what we call the consequences. Were there any consequences in regards to jobs or the law? Uh, absolutely on jobs. Um, I you know because I had no confidence. You know it was like I had this short peak of time where I was Superman, and then it came crashing back down. Mm. And so you know I'd go from job to job. I was working in New Zealand. Um, I'd work on farms. I come from a farming mm-hmm. background or agricultural mm-hmm. background. So, but I'd only last a year, and then I went overseas. Right. So I went overseas in 1993, and um, I went went to the UK and and um, sort of did the same thing over there. Worked on farms and sort of odd mm. jobs, but the the constant was I never had any money. Right. So every single cent I had went on drink. Yeah. Um, or what I thought was party. Yeah. But it went on drink. Yeah. So when when friends or people were saving money to go on trips, I was the one left behind. Yeah. And uh, I, yeah, I was the one that, that – well, if we moved out of a flat, I was the one that owed the rent. You know, yeah. I was the one that hadn't paid for the food. I was the one that, you know, had borrowed everyone's clothes, mm-hmm. all my friends' clothes and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. Not yeah. their underpants, but um, <laughs> everything else. So – yeah, that that was that was me. And so during this time, you know, did you ever think this is a problem? No, no, not once, not once, not once. And um, you know, I I also was playing sport or playing rugby in particular, and so you know, clubs would engage me. And back then, it was before it was professional, so clubs would would give me an airline ticket or and set mm. me up. And you know, they'd, they'd see me walk to the door and. The first couple of games, I think, oh yeah, this is a good investment. And about four games later, I think this is not a good investment. <laughs> right. Um, and not so much from the field, but what was happening off it. But I would just walk out. You just leave. Yep. I the one of the big consistents of my drinking was the geographics yep. is that I ran and yep. I had the ability um, that I could get on a plane. Yeah. And so I didn't stick around for the burning when the bridges were getting burnt. I was long gone and yep. and. Uh, and that, so, and that was a big part of my yep. my um, drinking was that I didn't have to face anything. Yeah. And with the law, funny enough, no, I did everything to to to, to be in front of a judge, um, you know, but I didn't until I was married. 
Right. I'd, I'd got actually got married, and that was my first first time I uh, of a couple of times that I got in front of a judge. But from up, you know, my teenage years up till I was thirty, I um, I had a couple of nights in the drunk tank, <laughs> but I was never arrested right. or never charged. So I guess that kind of leads me into you know what was your progression into what we we often call in the the rooms as you know our rock bottom or what brought us into recovery or started the turnaround for you? Um, really for me it was it, it was a it was kind of a slow decline because I never had a big explosion. I mm. never got arrested. Mm. You know, I never did anything up to the age of sort of 30 that was he's in a lot of trouble. Mm. Now, people who were close to me knew I was in trouble. Sure. But I got to probably 29, 28, 29, and, and I, I went to Ireland. I'd come back to New Zealand and uh, I went to Ireland to play rugby. And it was really a really bad contract on a low grade, but I, you know, I'd convinced myself that it was great. I was on the run from yep. here for all the trouble that I'd caused. And I got over to Ireland and um, I was in trouble within a few weeks. Mm. Um, but I'd met a girl. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I kind of somehow made it work, stayed and, and we got married. And you know, within, a, I think, about two months of, of our marriage, she Came pregnant, mm-hmm. you know, which surprised me. I mean, I got to know how it happened, but, but, uh, <laughs> and so that was when our first child was born, and then a year after, after him, and we had the second child, and and um, my drinking got a whole lot worse, and, and it got worse not the amount I was drinking, but there was nothing in it, right. there was absolutely nothing in the drink. But I kept doing it, and I was living in a small town in Ireland, and I couldn't escape, you know, I couldn't get out. So everything that I was doing was hitting me in the face, mm. and. Um, Finally, it got to the point where I knew I was out. Yeah. Um, you know, my bags were basically packed and I knew one more transgression. But I didn't think it was drink. I just thought it was really bad luck and people <laughs> didn't understand me and <clears throat> I had all these excuses. But I remember going into um, my son's room and he, he was a toddler at the stage. He would have been about 18 months. And I remember looking into the cot and just absolutely knowing that um, – he wouldn't look at me as I looked at him, as a, as a father with unconditional love for your child, that this this little baby or this toddler would not um, look at me in the same way. And, and you know, my daughter was three or four months, whatever she was, and I kind of had a just this premonition that if I was left, if I was put on the outside of this house, things were going to get real bad. Right. And they were bad for me. You know, I was I was definitely you know morally bankrupt and everything else, yep. and. Um, that still wasn't quite enough. Right. And then I, I did. Then, I, then you know, probably a week or so later or two weeks later, I can't remember, I, I went into the rooms and I would have told you at the time I went in because of them and my wife, but I went in for 100% self-preservation. Right. And I knew about AA. I had family members in it and, and um, I kind of knew about it. But up to that point, I'd never considered I was an alcoholic. But because of self-preservation, I went to any port that would take me. And that right. was the last one and it was I had no other choice. So tell us then about your first meeting and, and your introduction to recovery as we know it today. Well, I was very lucky um, because, you know, I'm, I'm I, it's kind of full of fear but I'm defiant and, and <laughs> all that sort of stuff is that I went into Ireland and I went in with real old timers and these guys had been to hell. I mean, they had been to hor- horrific places. And uh, so... I rang up um, 
I used to ring up a local priest because that's what you did in Ireland. Yep. And I, he met me, and, and the first thing he asked me, he said, oh, are you abusing your wife or your children? And I was shocked. Wow. I thought, is that what you think of me? And then um, he said, how bad's your behaviour on drink? And I said, you know, I kind of lied to him. And <laughs> anyway, he gave me a number of a, of a guy, and this guy was called Didi. And I rang Didi up, and I went and met him. He said, come and see me. And I went and met him, and I, I walked into his house. And I was a con man. You know, you have to be. So I was sort of looking for an angle, and he sat me down, and he told me a story, and it was horrific of the streets of London, mm. you know, he, he and how bad he'd got, and he'd got down to six stone and could only hold down cornflakes. Mm. And his family had lost track of him, and they, they finally found him. Somehow they found him and brought him back, and brought him, and that's how he, he survived. And, and he'd come from a good family and good education. Mm. So anyway, he goes, tell me your story. So I started it, and he gave me two minutes, and he said, right, he said, I don't care if you want to hear this or not, but you're an alcoholic. And he said, you've got two choices. He said, you're at, a, you're at a, a T intersection. You can turn left, and that story I told you will be your story. Mm. Or you can turn right, you can come to um, AA, and I don't know what your outcome is, but it won't be, the, but what, it won't be my story. Mm. And um, then he told me <laughs> to F off. Um, He'll take me to, no, sorry, he told me, I'll take you to two minutes, you can F off and find yourself because I won't carry you. Mm. So I walked out, not getting a cup of tea or a chocolate biscuit, <laughs> um, thinking, because I thought he'd tell me I was great not to worry, but it, it, quite the different. And mm. so I come into Ireland and, and he took me to meetings with his old timers and, you know, they were hard. Mm. You know, they, they didn't take any BS. Um, it was black and white. And basically what they'd said to me is if you want what we have, and I was desperate for it, you know, after a a month, I was desperate for what they had. Do do what we do, and do it in a you know. You're not going to do it, and you're not going to do it in a week. Right. And so, yeah, that's how I came in, and and I got some old guys who who saw right through me. They laughed at me, <laughs> and um, you know, absolutely loved me back into sobriety, mm. but put me on a very short leash. Sure. And, and is that what you needed? Is that what worked for you? hundred oh, percent. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, if I'm capable of of, you know. Drink took me to the place where I didn't give a shit about my kids. Yep. I'd go to the pub. Yeah. If I'm capable of that, um, and I come from a loving family, it wasn't the way I was brought up, mm. I was capable of anything, and they saw right through me. Yeah. You know, I went, I'm an alcoholic from day one. Why? I don't want the attention. You know, I tried to do the steps on the first week. Yep. <laughs> and, and so I guess it's that gift of desperation meant you were able to surrender quite early in your recovery. Yeah, I did. I mean, uh, surrendering was one thing. Um, and then learning about myself was another sure. and, and everything else. But what I really wanted and what they gave me was really good direction mm. and a really narrow one because I didn't ha they didn't allow me to have room to find an excuse. Sure, sure. And um, you know, to give you one example is that, uh, and I've, I've shared it a few times, is you know, he, my sponsor, Didi, told me to get on my knees, be brought to my knees. Find a mm, God. Mm. He didn't give me a choice about what you think. And I questioned him a week later, and he asked me, well, who do you think you are? This has worked for thousands of people. Why are you so Why special? Are you, it's different and unique. And, you know? and, and, and just touch briefly there on, on, on the word God. We talk about AA being a spiritual program and to find a power greater than ourselves, not a religious program. What was that like for you? Um, yeah, I grew up in religion, so... I kind of, the God thing didn't worry me. I just mm. thought it was a contract. 
You know, you got a cross and ticks. And, and by the way, I thought God had failed on his side because every time I asked him, he never come and helped. But it was explained to me in Ireland is don't get caught up in religion. It's just an excuse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you hear it in meetings. We've explained it to you. If you want to hide mm. in the religious part of it, mm. that's you running. Mm-hmm. And that's how I was told. So um, it's never been an issue. Yeah. Never been an issue, you know. And, and I, was, I was also told that, you know, if I completely surrendered and handed my life over to God, and trusted him, and that was the big word, trust, he'll never put, or she, whatever way you want to call it, will never put anything in front of you that you can't handle. And, and you know, 18 years later, that's been my my experience. It's been your experience. A lot of stuff I don't want to handle, <laughs> but <laughs> I haven't had to drink. Yep. And most of the times I haven't behaved badly. Mm, mm. And so I, I guess, you know, in times of difficulty, 18 years later, what are some of the things you do to ensure your sobriety? I do the things, funny enough, um, I was talking to my sponsor over here. I do the things that I was told my first week. Mm-hmm. Um, no meetings, no chance. Many, few meetings, few chances. Many meetings, many chances. Mm. Get a sponsor. Mm. Do service. Mm-hmm. Um, do the steps. Mm-hmm. When you're actually ready, mm-hmm. not when someone tells you you're ready because um, you've got to know what honesty is. Mm-hmm. And above all, put God at the centre of your life. Mm. And I've never changed it. And, you know, I get on my knees every day because I was told to at the start as an act of humility and I, I couldn't work that out. But I do now, or I did after a while, is that that act of humility is me asking for help for mm-hmm. a power greater than me. Mm. And by physically doing it, and, and I have to do things, mm. Mm. Um, you know, it works. And, and I've never changed it. No. An action program, a simple action program yeah. for complicated people. And then probably that's the, the other thing on it was – at some stage when I did the steps, I had to turn around and own my stuff mm. and walk towards it mm-hmm. and um, realise that. And then, you know, after, after that, a lot of stuff was lifted and then I could get on with being in recovery. You know, the drink had been put down and, and I knew what the drink did to me, but I actually had to go back to, you know, why did I always pick the drink up? So, so tell us what your life's like today, 18 years later. <laughs> well, it's, it's extremely vanilla. Extremely vanilla. <laughs> like, you know, uh, um, I look forward to fish and chips on a Friday night with chilli sauce. Yeah. You know, that's my little bit of spice. You know, I have a family. I mm-hmm. have work. I get up. It, all my Mondays are always the same. Mm, mm. Um, what I find is it's just my attitude towards it. I mean, it's a fantastic life. You know, mm. I, I sort of put it down to 88% of my life is unreal because yeah. it's just normal. Yeah. 6% is a bit average. And 6% crap. I've just <laughs> got to make sure I don't go to the 6% that's crap yep. and focus on that. And, um, Sean, what would you recommend for someone who might be listening, who thinks maybe I have a drinking problem? What could they do or ask themselves to help decide? Um, well, go to a meeting. Okay. Go to a meeting. I mean, I was told going to a meeting's looking for help. Um, talking in a meeting to someone is asking for help. Mm. Um it works. Mm. I mean, if it can work for someone like me, it can work for anyone. Mm. And it's not, you're not going to be, your photo's not going to be put on the wall. Mm-mm. You know, and people aren't going to put it in the paper. If you think you've got a drinking problem, um, there is a 12-step program that has worked for tens of thousands of people mm. who didn't think they ever had a chance. Mm. Simple as that. Yeah, that's that's simple. <laughs> well, Sean, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with us. No, thank you very much for having me. It's been great to have you here.
So for our listeners, if you've related to anything you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at aa.org.nz or call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30pm on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past shows on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember, if you want to drink, that's your business. But if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. We will now close the show with the serenity prayer, as we do in every AA meeting. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. You have been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9.